we can evidence ourselves for having had a, uh, the, the proper vaccines. Okay. Uh, can I just go? Uh, 30 seconds. 80,000 per day is the U.S. figure. Okay. For the well, well, well what's the I stand corrected. I'm where, delighted. Where's, where's, <laughs> is that the CDC? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Uh, no, it's bad enough. And, of course, we haven't talked about China, which is having a mysterious development mm. across 21 sadly, out of 32 clients. We've sadly run Problems. out of time to talk about that. But thank you all very much. You heard there David Roche, President and Global Strategist of Independent Strategy. Stuart Allcroft, who's Chairman of City Trust, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, stocks up about 0.4%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is moving in the other direction, down about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like a more or less flat open for the Hang Seng later. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil at $72.29 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,811 an ounce. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Danny Gittings and Anna Fenton coming up right after the news. The weather forecast, sunny intervals and a few showers, squalls and isolated thunderstorms later. Maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees. Standby signal number one is in force. The winds are going to be strong and heavy later on in the week and there will be occasional showers in the following couple of days. 29 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Barry O'Rourke with the Half Hour News. There are reports that Hong Kong could have its first local coronavirus case in 57 days, involving a resident in Shamshui Po. It comes as health authorities reported four new cases, all imported with mutated strains. Aaron Tam reports. The patients aged 8 to 33 all arrived on a Turkish Airlines flight from Istanbul on August the 1st. Due to the positive test results, Turkish Airlines flights from Istanbul are barred from landing in Hong Kong until August the 17th. Officials also reported a handful of preliminary positive cases, one of which was suspected to be a local transmission involving a 43-year-old man. Meanwhile, Hong Kong authorities said anyone who's been in Macau for the past 14 days cannot return under the Return to HK scheme, which allows residents quarantine-free entry to the city. Macau authorities are on high alert after a local couple who'd recently returned from Zhuhai and their son and daughter tested positive for COVID-19. Veteran journalist Steve Vine says he's fled to the UK, saying that near-term prospects of things getting better are non-existent. The move takes place concurrently with Initium Media's announcement that they will move to Singapore. Richard Pine reports. The former RTHK presenter says he is escaping the white terror sweeping through Hong Kong. Writing to friends and former colleagues in an email, Mr Vine said journalism has now become very high risk. Meanwhile, Hong Kong-based digital media outlet Initium Media has said it's moving its headquarters to Singapore due to Hong Kong's plummeting press freedom ranking. Journalism professor Grace Leung from the Chinese University says Initium no longer finds the SAR a safe place for reporting. It shows that um, those outspoken media, like uh, this media organization, even though it was uh, just staying in Hong Kong for a few years, uh, still find the pressure of citizenship as well as um, the room for press freedom is uh, declining. The British Maritime Intelligence Agency Lloyd's List says an oil tanker has been hijacked in the Gulf of Oman and has been instructed to sail to Iran. It's the second attack on a merchant vessel off the coast of Oman in less than a week. Here's the BBC's Frank Gardner. Maritime intelligence agencies have confirmed that the MV Asphalt Princess, a medium-sized bitumen carrier, was boarded by around eight armed men 
and ordered to sail to Iran. The incident took place close to the crowded entrance to the Strait of Hormuz, one of the world's busiest waterways. An Iranian government spokesman has denied any attacks on commercial shipping and has suggested the reports could be an excuse to attack Iran. Britain, the US and Israel have all blamed Iran for last week's fatal drone attack on a tanker that killed a British security guard and a Romanian sailor. They've promised a coordinated response, while Iran has denied responsibility. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. In our main topic today, we'll be looking at the Hong Kong government's decision to sever ties with Hong Kong's largest teachers' union, hours after Xinhua and the People's Daily branded it as a malignant tumour that must be eradicated. Chief Executive Carrie Lam accused the professional teachers' union of hijacking the education sector and leaving people with negative views of the city's teachers. While Lao Shukai, an advisor to Beijing, said the action was part of a new phase of corrective measures against educational, cultural and media organisations in Hong Kong. So is this the first step towards the government taking action against other Hong Kong groups criticised by Beijing, such as the Hong Kong Bar and the Journalists Association? And what should we make of former Backchat co-host Stephen Vines to sudden departure from Hong Kong due to what he said was a series of alarming events, both personal and political? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Later in the show, what impact will the government's latest COVID measures have on the severe shortage of foreign domestic helpers? Join us for the main segment of discussion this morning. We have John Burns. John Burns is Emeritus Professor, Emeritus professor and Honorary Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And Chris Young, Political Analyst and former Chair of the Hong Kong Journalists Association. Before we go to the main, main, main topic, though, a number of emails coming in on uh, past Backchat shows, continuing discussions, even actually going back to Backchat um, various shows last week. Uh, let's have a roundup of them. Uh, first of all, Guy, who was on Backchat last week, talking about the police busting a um, uh, parking scam in Kowloon. Uh, uh, Guy says, now, perhaps you should be asking the Department of Justice why are they why they are not approving a tried and tested charge of conspiracy to defraud the Hong Kong government. The police apparently have video and witness evidence that the metered car park spaces are fully occupied for 24 hours, but that the meters are not being fed and the Transport Department Treasury is unable to collect the appropriate fees. Dan, who appeared as, uh, as a caller on a, ba- a back chat on a uh, back chat program last week about uh, climate change and uh, was um, saying that climate change is, or, or questioning the existence of climate change, that provoked a number of furious uh, responses from other back chat listeners, um, including an email from uh, Richard the Third, who said he's a professor who teaches the subject, which I read out on air um, on uh, Monday. Uh, criticising Backchat uh, for airing Dan's comments. Dan Dan now responding. Uh, Dan, in the interest of hopefully drawing this to a close, I'll, I'll edit your response slightly. Um, I find it fascinating, illuminating, that on many topics, listeners write in to say with indignation, how dare you put someone on air who doesn't agree with me? My thanks to listener Richard II for proving my point about how dogmatic some in climate science have begun. Notice there was no rebuttal from him on the main points made, only an attack on me and my now famous weather station. This is a common tactic used by those who are losing or have lost the argument. 
The sad part is that they persist in positing a hypothesis that affects the whole world, yet is untestable. The average person in Hong Kong or elsewhere knows next to nothing about how weather works and even less about climate. I've studied both for decades since I was a young boy. The mention of my weather station was done simply to establish I have both knowledge and passion for the topic. I also spent several hours over the weekend preparing to share my views on Backchat and posted some of what I found on Facebook, including real data in the form of graphs and a link to a letter from 500 scientists writing to the UN leadership. I would be happy to debate Richard II on Backchat or any other, any other forum, or how about a conversation on this topic in one of your classes, Richard? I'll come both as a learner and someone with a different perspective. I think your students need to hear what I have to say. Does the concept of fair and balanced still exist on university campuses these days? Um, and uh, finally, on uh, previous back chat topics, a couple of emails following up on uh, Monday's discussion on the uh, Tongyin Kit verdict. Tongyin Kit, of course, the motorcyclist uh, sentenced to uh, nine years in prison for um, uh, flying a flag with a, a slogan which is, was said to be successionist and uh, crashing into police lines on July the 1st last year. Uh, Carol Peterson, who was a guest on Monday's show, responding to the other guest, uh, Lawrence Marr, says, Lawrence Marr seems to think that any argument based on the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights would be a constant constitutional argument. That is not the case. The national security law itself brings the international covenant on civil and political rights into play in Article 4, which states that people will continue to enjoy the rights protected under that document. Thus, to the extent possible, the provisions of national security law should be given a meaning and effect compatible with the international covenant on civil and political rights. I would hope that future judgments in trials for incitement to succession will expressly consider that issue. Um, and finally, on previous shows, Clive says, terrorism is the, un of course, because a lot of debate about what constitutes terrorism, which is one of the charges Tongyinkit was uh, convicted of. Clive says, terrorism is the unuse, unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. And to be considered an act of terrorism, to be considered an act of terrorism, an act must be violent or threaten violence for political, economic, religious or social purposes. Uh, thank you very much uh, for those emails. Uh, now, returning to uh, today's discussion, as I mentioned, we have uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration, and Chris Young, Political Analyst and former Chair of the Hong Kong Journalist Association. Good morning, uh, Chris Young. Uh, let, let, let's go to you first. Um, what's your take on the, this government announcement, um, eventually severing all contacts with the professional teachers union well uh m morning uh, danny and anna and um the 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 way it was uh, announced uh was a surprise um and but the but the but the, but the fact that uh they um they were taking action against a uh, professional teachers union is it, not um i think since 2019 and in the past year after the enactment of nsl um, the criticism and the pressure uh, on the on the government to um, disband or de register, say, professional teachers union, uh, have been in increasing, including, say, calls, uh, as I said, including calls for um, the um, the union be de register, uh, citing uh, basically all those uh, allegations uh, in the two articles in Xinhua and People's uh, Daily. Um, it's a slight surprise uh, in the way it was announced. Uh, as you just said, um, it, the, 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 articles, the articles came out late Friday morning, and then on a the, on the Saturday afternoon, the, 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 the Education Bureau 
uh, put out a, a, a statement say, saying that, that they will cut all ties with the professional teachers union. And, and even though uh, Carrie Lam denied that there was any uh, connection between the two, but it, it was, it's just so obvious just so obvious that uh, uh, they they took that um, articles as a as a signal as a signal and perhaps an order by the Chinese uh, central government for them to act no more uh, say daily 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 and and delay, delayed in taking action against uh, the union and also despite the fact that as Carrie Lam said at the press conference. Um, they have not yet, say, uh, had strong legal basis and uh, sufficient evidence uh, to act um, and to act on professional unions in accordance with the law. Uh, so this is uh, so obvious a political uh, decision, um, not uh, not uh, uh, not about the law. But the um, Carrie Lam spent some time, didn't she? she I, in fact, I think they said she she spent seven minutes at the press conference going to this, and she made the point that um, uh, a, a fairly detailed decision like this this is can't just be simply in response to a newspaper article. The government must have been preparing it beforehand. And yes. you yourself said right that there was a background. Yes. If there had, if, even if there hadn't been these um, articles from uh, the mainland media, this this might have come at some point. But this is just uh, dictates the precise timing, right? Yes, I think of course that they've been compiling. They've been compiling. I think they've been following uh, what was written uh, in the pro Beijing media, in the official media uh, against uh, professional unions. So, so in fact, the, the, the details are quite similar. Uh, you almost thought that uh, they uh, they were writing the statements uh, based on the the, the two articles, and they had some other articles. Uh, previously, say, uh, published uh, in those official media and also the pro-Beijing media in, uh, in in Hong Kong. But the timing, but the timing itself, uh, that they um, they pushed the uh, they, they pushed the, the, the button uh, to to release it. I think it's so, it's just so obvious. And I think it it it's, it's um, I think they first. I think the two. Um, Articles in the social media, I think, send a pretty clear signal that um, they just don't want the government to to wait, and uh, they 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 want to see uh, action, and perhaps uh, not immediately, and um, but uh, no more delay, uh, and and then uh, I think the the bureau just acts so swiftly that uh, I think they they got the message that um, um, the 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 patience of the Chinese. Um, authorities uh, uh, has run out. Do you think that, Chris, do you think that the union was too political? Do you think that, that they had overstepped their role? Or how do you see the role of a, of a teacher's union? Well, um, if you define union as just a union about, say, labor rights benefits, about, say, uh, say um, uh, jobs, about, say, uh, wages, um, about say uh, work hours, uh, I think it's just it's a it's a very na narrow say definition of uh, 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 union. Uh, I think matters uh, that affect say uh, workers, I think can generally say broadly uh, defined as matters that um, that they should uh, they 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 have the right to 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 express their views. 
I think any unions are, are composed of uh, citizens who have the right to express their views on, say, um, on any matters they, that they see they want to express themselves. I think that's part of the freedom of ex- expression. And um, of course, uh, if if say um, uh, at some point that they take that PTU to court or or, or they deregister PTU to court and PTU. Uh, challenge that in a, for instance, uh, uh, judicial review decision, the court then we may have to decide, say, whether under the existing uh, uh, trade union law uh, ordinance, uh, trade union cannot or, or, or is unlawful to uh, make comments or make statements on issues like extradition bills. And, um, and, and as a matter of fact, we see other unions we see other teachers' body in the probation in the pro establishment camp making statement in support of the extradition bill, in support of the electoral reform, uh, in support of um, many other government um, uh, policies, which are not, say, uh, strictly speaking, labor labor issues. So, so um, it's double standard. So you see uh, that, yeah, that there is a double standard. If you support there. it, if you support it, you are you 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 are okay. If you don't support it, uh, you 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 are uh, considered as uh, say violating um, uh, or not not in line with labour law. I think this is double standard. But don't you think realistically that education is very much about policy? Um, do you think that's the healthier way to go in in future? Is to just stick to policy on education, which is pretty much set in stone. Well, um, at, at first, uh, I think each union, each association uh, has their has their own right, say, uh, to to decide, say, whether they well, whether we, we, they, they want to speak on uh, other issues. And I said that this, as I said earlier, this is uh, also part of the freedom of, of expression. And secondly, um, I think we we have to see that uh, in. Uh, in, in the in principle of, of proportionality, and um, BTU and uh, you, you can see they have done a lot uh, on education issue, on teachers issues, even even about say uh, they're running their kind of supermarkets is for their members. Uh, that's part of the benefits. Um, it is it, being uh, practiced by many other unions. The largest trade unions in Hong Kong, federations of trade unions, they 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 have the largest say uh, network of uh, services, uh, medical supermarkets, uh, uh, also all those uh, courses. Uh, as I said, if you if you target those, then you 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 are you 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 are you are practicing double 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 standards and. Um, uh, and as a matter of fact, for the past perhaps uh, 48 years, the governments, both before and after the handover, uh, have been talking to PTU on uh, education issues. Kevin Lam himself uh, attended the, uh, the, the, the celebration in 2018 and, and said a lot of things about education. But she explained uh, that, didn't she? She said that that was, <laughs> uh, that was a very different climate and that the PTU itself ha- has changed since then. And I think she's, she's particularly referring to its behaviour during the 2019 unrest. Is there an argument that they stuck their head out rather too far in, 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 during the 2019 unrest? Uh, some people said uh, they're more prominent even than the Democratic Party and the Civic Party. 
I think they they uh, they victimized uh, PTU uh, for the 2019 uh, social social movement. Uh, yes, I think uh, more students uh, took part, and uh, uh, teachers. Um, um, but um, um, is the PTU um, the the kind of main culprit uh, of the 2019 uh, social movement? And um, it, it's just obvious that uh, it's, it's a complex um, uh, political, say, uh, kind of un- unrest and. Um, and a lot of factors are, 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 are involved. I think it's unfair. It's unfair to put the blame on uh, PTU and t- on teachers uh, for uh, for the for, for the unrest. I think they they just want to uh, find scapegoats. Uh, teachers, PTU, media for sending uh, so-called fake news uh, for uh, government failures. Okay, thank you very much. That's that's Chris Young. Um, And uh, in a moment, let's go to uh, John Burns, who's also with us. We're discussing the um, government's decision to cease contacts with the uh, Professional Teachers Union. Um, Where does that leave um, Hong Kong's largest teachers union? And is the government likely to take similar action against other organisations that have been criticised by the mainland media? If you've got any thoughts, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Uh, A comment from uh, T on our Facebook page on this topic. Uh, TC says, the irony is uh, in the story is that the PTU is the least yellow of all pan-democratic groups. Education is a sector that is extremely reliant on government funding and has the least to gain by going against the government. Most importantly, the PTU's close ties with the Democratic Party made them very unpopular with localists. Uh, John Burns, Press John Burns, good morning to you. Now, uh, Chris Young was referring to the timing of the government's action against uh, the uh, PTU coming so shortly after editorials in uh, in the People's Daily and in Xinhua and saying even some of the, the wording actually very similar. Is that how you view it? Well, I think we need to look at some background and ask about the timing of both of these things. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned so far is that... Um, Election Committee and Let's Go elections are coming up. There is an education functional constituency, and the PTU has always played a very significant role in determining uh, the outcomes of these elections. We're also coming up to the start of a new school year, and so the Communist Party, I would say, which is leading this attack, wants to get this decolonialization project going. And so I think we need to look at the background. If you look at the basic law itself, it does say we can retain our existing educational system, but it also says, and you know, if you read, read it between the lines especially, that the Communist Party expected that our education system would be developed and improved. And what they mean by that is that it would be decolonialized. And they reminded us again and again of this. In 2015, they said this. In 2017, they said this long before what happened in 2019. So our government and our government leaders are complicit in not having done this. They have failed to do this. All four of the governments have failed to do this, including Kerry.
Larry Lamb. So, I mean, I, this is part of the background. So I, I think they need to stand up and take responsibility, not just talk about hijacking and reputational damage. They are also part of the problem from the Communist Party's perspective. So this is a kind of background. The other thing is about, you know, unions and politics. I agree completely with Chris that it is utterly hypocritical to accuse the PTU of uh, engaging in politics. Every one of the pro-establishment unions has done this in spades. I mean, this is exactly what they do. And then the other thing I think we have to, the community in Hong Kong has got to stand up and do they support autonomous unions uh, playing a role in civil society or not? Because this is a test of that. They provide constructive criticism to the government. They provide expertise to the government. Officials don't usually, um, very often, don't consider the views of these kinds of uh you know, autonomous organizations, and so I think the people of Hong Kong need to support them. So my question to the officials of the Education Bureau is, how many of you were members of the PTU? Good question. What do you think the answer to that is? <laughs> I think quite a lot of them. So, you know, I mean, the PTU, it's been around for a long time and very influential and very popular with teachers and educators. So um, I think, and insofar as uh, education department and education bureau officials are are in the, in the education profession, many of them would have been PTU members. And, or they still are. And how about Kerry Lam? Kerry Lam's not a PTU member, but she um, she went to lobby for their support when she was standing for chief executive. And then, of course, she went to their anniversary celebrations in um, 2018. And she was rather defensive about this when she um, met the press uh, for a COVID uh, press conference a couple of days ago. But she explicitly carved out time to discuss this. Um, do, you, do you think uh, that her past close relations there with the PTU are a black mark in um, her book as far as Beijing's concerned? So that's the, this is the question. How seriously should we take the Communist Party's decolonialization project for our education system? If we take it seriously, and that's why we have these editorials in People's Daily and Xinhua, you know, that we have to explain the timing of that. That's really the, the thing, and I tie that to the elections. I, I mean, I think uh, she is complicit, too. So is Tong Jiwa, so is Donald Jung, so is uh, Leung Jong-ying. I mean, Carrie Lam has been around for a long time, and the so-called hijacking and reputational damage did not happen overnight. So, does it? can we see this as part of the sort of more of the... I'm, Lao Shukai referred to Cindy. He said that um, we're now entering a... a um, he referred to a speech by Xiaobao Long, the director of the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office, said we're entering a new phase of deepening and more efforts we put into ideology, education and, um, and uh, culture and media will all be areas of concern to Beijing. We should expect this to be followed by other action, particularly in education, but not just confined to education? Yes, yes, I think this is true. So what we see here is the Communist Party is kicking the Hong Kong government and saying, do something. You've been, you know, for 23 years, 24 years, you just sat on your hands and did absolutely nothing about this. So now they're saying action has to be taken. And I think the timing can be explained by 
these uh, upcoming elections. You keep coming back to the elections. So you're thinking about the uh, which, which election specifically, the election committee, election council, or the chief, the chief in, executive? In both, of, in both of them, there is, you know, I mean, the PTU has played a very critical, important role, I would say, in the education functional constituency in LegCo. And they have run candidates or endorsed candidates, and these candidates have almost always won, as my memory uh, serves and on the election committee also there is an education constituency and what they're doing is delegitimizing advice from the PTU and so you know the elections of both of these elections in September and December that w would be part of the reason for the timing in my view I mean because the Communist Party has been talking about de the decolonialization for a long time this is not nothing new They've been talking about it for a long time, but nothing is very much has happened. Well, the government has to be kicked, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what we, Carrie Lamb has to be kicked in particular. And, you know, they tried in 2015. Chen Zhou came to Hong Kong and said, what have you done? You've done absolutely nothing. And then in 2017, the same thing. Well, who was in charge then? I mean, this was Lung Zhong Ying. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Stay with us, John Burns. We're going to continue the discussion after the news and perhaps also talk about uh, the departure of uh, former Backcheck co-host uh, Stephen Vines uh, from Hong Kong. If you've got any thoughts on any of these topics, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Several emails coming in. We'll get to after the news. Or, of course, you can go to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio Free and leave a comment there or call us on 233-88266. The weather forecast. It's going to be sunny intervals and a few showers but they're going to be more showers later and they're easy, also going to be some isolated thunderstorms currently 29 degrees relative humidity 79% we'll be back in three minutes Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, sitting in for Hugh Chiverton, who will be back next week. Uh, your co-host this morning is uh, Anna Fenton. In uh, the second half of the show, we continue our discussion about the current political situation in Hong Kong, uh, particularly uh, the government's announcement that it's severing ties with the Professional Teachers Union. What implications does that have uh, for other organisations that have been also criticised by the mainland media, such as the Hong Kong Bar and the Journalists Association? And perhaps also looking at the departure of uh, former Back Chat uh, co-host Stephen Vines uh, from Hong Kong. Kong. Um, just before we go back to our guests, uh, uh, let's bring in some emails from uh, listeners on a uh, variety of topics. Uh, first of all, uh, our one, just one for today, I think, on uh, COVID. Uh, Alex says, um, I cannot believe that 30% um, of government employees have an allergy to vaccinations. Best to have a doctor at the site to instantaneously advise if the particular person is actually allergic or not. The subject and scope of allergy is so, so huge that most of the citizens claiming allergy may not be allergic to the vaccination. Uh, secondly, on uh, climate change. Well, I hope this will be the, the last one on climate change. This one is run and run from a uh, show last week where, where caller Dan came on and we then read our emails criticising his, his appearance. Uh, uh, an email from Dan responding, uh, defending at the start of the show. And so uh, let's perhaps uh, uh, call it uh, call it an end to this with uh, a response uh, from another listener, Alan, um, to that. Um, Alan, first of all, uh, dealing with today's topic, says, uh, so Hong Kong is now governed by the people's daily hong kong people ruling hong kong with a high degree of autonomy throw that in the memory hole hong kong government is a pathetic farce no hope for hong kong's political life support she in every way or be perched 
Anyway, you just now read out the second or third email from a climate sceptic giving his anti-science views that he proudly admits to have sourced from Facebook, giving him much more time than those of the actual scientists. It's the journalistic reflex to give weight to both sides, even when one is fantasy and propaganda and the other is supported by 99% of scientists that has led to the current climate, current climate crisis and similarly anti-vaxxers spreading fear of vaccination directly causing deaths. It's irresponsible to give minutes of airtime to cranks peddling misinformation. Get staff who are scientifically literate to handle it. You are now not, are allowed to do that. Still, I hope. Thank you very much, Alan. As I said, I, I think we can now draw this topic to a close. Uh, emails uh, related to uh, today's topic. Um, Andrew uh, criticizing Chris Young. This guy calls the 2019 riot social unrest. Nice to see his lack of bias as a journalist on full display. I think, um, Andrew, I will defend Chris Young to say I, I've also used the term social unrest and it is widely used. There are many descriptions of what happened in 2019. Sometimes can be described as riots, but social unrest, I think you may also see that term used sometimes by government officials. Uh, Mark says... Instead of wasting time discussing how and why the decision was made, it'd be better to have uh, discuss how the EDB and teachers will communicate and work together going forward. Th- thank you very much, Mark. Uh, we did uh, our producer did invite a large number of educationists, representatives from the professional tra- uh, teachers union and um, school school principals and um, representatives from other educational trade unions to appear on today's show. All of them said they were unable to do so, um, which perhaps explains why we haven't gone into some of those topics in more detail. Um, and on another topic, which is in the news very much at the moment, and you no doubt heard it on RTHK News, um, um, uh, Steve Vine's departure from uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Steve Vine's departure, Steve Vine's, of course, until a month ago, was a uh, backchat uh, co-host. Um, a couple of email, or oh, a couple of comments coming in from listeners. Alonso says... For as long as I can remember, and I'm going back several years, long before the 2019 protest and the resulting passing of the national security law, Steve Vines has been constantly complaining about seemingly everything under the sun. He's clearly been unhappy about developments in Hong Kong for some time and made his feelings very apparent on various platforms, be it the Pulse, Morning Brew, Backchat or his newspaper columns. So it makes perfect sense for him to leave. It's really not a big deal, and I don't understand why it's a headline story on your hourly news. Uh, contrasting comment on Facebook uh, from Horatio says, Steve Vines should have his own radio show in the UK. I bet he would easily beat RTHK in listeners, just like the one on RTHK Chinese. They sacked all the hosts, and their Facebook Live Daily now has more viewers than they expected. And one of the hosts left is, left is, who left is doing it from Taiwan. Thank you very much for all those comments from listeners. Our guests, as we continue the discussion, uh, Professor John Burns, uh, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration, University of Hong Kong, and Chris Young, Political Analyst and former Chair of the Hong Kong Journalist Association. So, Chris Young, how do you see the departure of Steve after 35 years in Hong, uh, in Hong Kong? He has a long and colourful history as a journalist and opinion writer in Hong Kong. I think it's fair to say started out on The Observer many moons ago and has had columns in The Post and uh, Hong Kong Free Press and was, of course, very famous for his um, starting up uh, the, what was it called? The Eastern, Eastern Express, Express. Uh, in the early 90s. So, uh, Chris, how do you view this episode? Well, um, again, it's not a surprise in the sense that uh, you, you can see the uh, media environment, uh, in fact, the overall uh, uh, freedom environment in Hong Kong 
um, is deteriorating. Uh, I think getting from bad to very bad, I would, I would, I would, I would say, and uh, it's not an isolated case. Um, there are, there are um, other, say, unreported uh, cases of, say, of veteran journalists, commentators uh, uh, who have left Hong Kong quietly, and uh, and some of them are still are still writing or are still making comment uh, from uh, outside Hong Kong. And uh, for obvious reasons, uh, uh, they still love journalism. They still want to uh, make a point and 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 give the different views. And I think that's really part and parcel of Hong Kong society. But um, unmistakably, that they feel the the pressure, the the, the terror, the fear uh, that have been deepening uh, day after, uh, one day after another. And. Um, I think um, I think what Carrie Lam had said uh, some time ago that um, uh, no uh, adverse impact on freedoms after the uh, NSL uh, is implemented. I think it's just <laughs> it's just uh, plain lies. I think I think everyone can see the impact, not just on media, on journalists, uh, but on on many other uh, other sectors. Uh, and as Stanley uh, repeatedly said, I think. She herself has said in August last year that, that they will, um, the government will regulate, uh, will take measures to regulate and supervise um, the media, the education, and, and the civil service. And we see uh, the oath taking among civil servants. Uh, we see actions against a professional teachers' union. We see more, say, uh, wet trade, uh, in fact, uh, action on enactment of uh, uh, fake news. Um, um, and, uh, and the Journalist Association, as you mentioned earlier, uh, has been uh, occasionally perhaps uh, uh, named in uh, the also official media um, as a body that, um, that, that the government should be registered. I think all those things are putting together are quite obvious uh, that um, the, the, the environment-facing journalists uh, will will still get worse for some time, and you, you don't know what may happen. So uh, it's just also obvious that uh, uh, some journalists may, 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 may have decided to leave. You, you just mentioned the Hong Kong Journalist Association yourself. You're, you're, you actually only, you only recently stepped down as chair of the Journalist Association, yeah. I think. Are you still on the executive committee? No, no, but anyway, is uh, so. And you mentioned the possibility of it being deregistered. Is that something the Journalist Association is ready for? I mean, uh, you you have to consider that as a uh, as a as a realistic possibility, right? Well, uh, that has been raised. That has been repeated uh, sometimes, occasionally, perhaps uh, raised uh, in some articles in those um, uh, probation media. And um, to be honest, it's difficult to assess. Uh, how likely uh, it is, but you but you take into account the big picture, uh, what Carrie Lam said, and um, things like the fake news, and uh, that they uh, act on professional teachers' union uh, um, in, a, in, in the same pattern. If the same pattern uh, uh, applies, uh, uh, JA will be will be uh, one of their targets. How they do it. And um, JA is far less active uh, than PTU, and in fact, uh, JA has not taken uh, views on, uh, say, for instance, uh, electoral reform. 
we we spoke on uh, extradition bill because uh, that affects uh, freedom uh, and, and journalists' uh, 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 well-being as well. Uh, but strictly on journalists' uh, point of view, uh, we, we, we think it's okay. We are not a political body, uh, as uh, alleged by some uh, pro-Beijing media articles. Um, it's difficult to prepare uh, because uh, uh, we, we, we are running um, in, in accordance with, with, with the law. And, uh, but you, 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 you never know and, uh, what, may, what may happen. Uh, we just um, do uh, what we think uh, is within the law and, and within uh, the, um, what a journalist body should, uh, uh, should do. Chris, what do you think this means for institutions like the Foreign Correspondents Club, who also inhabit this sort of uh, space, a bit like the JA, where they often speak on issues but have no yeah. formal role? Well, in fact, uh, um, after the uh, FT case, uh, FCC has, uh, I think, also been occasionally, say, criticised by the Foreign Ministry's uh, office here, uh, as a political body, uh, I think that kind of a definition or or that or def, uh, the way they define association is uh, is uh, one of the signals. Um, I think I'm sure the FCC has been named as a political body, JA as well, and uh, PTU of course. Uh, that's also in the statement by the Education Bureau and also by the Xinhua uh, articles. Uh, they first change your nature. <laughs> they say you're no longer an association or union, uh, and then they say you are a political body. So that sets the, that paves the way for them to do something. And 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 um, but of course, uh, 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 for each organization, association like FCC, I'm sure they have other factors to consider. And um, FCC is a is a is a very important symbol of Hong Kong as an international city, and um, also for international business circle, it is a, a place for them to get together uh, and 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 meet people. And so I'm sure that um, those factors will still be uh, something that they have to consider. But in some ways, FCC is more vulnerable, isn't it? Because it's on a government lease, which um, doesn't have that long to run. So you can, um, uh, you, you, FCC doesn't cease to exist, but you can remove them from their, their premises and uh, remove a large part of their identity by just refusing to renew the lease, Chris Young. Uh, yes, I think uh, those kind of, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, supportive measures, I think, may... may, uh, may uh, may be gone. I think uh, one after another, and um, um, uh, maybe I think one of the scenarios that we may say uh, see in Hong Kong is that um, uh, associations like FCC uh, will uh, will be similar to those uh, FCC in mainland China. Um, that the uh, yes, uh, they may still be allowed, allowed to exist, but uh, their influence, uh, their activities uh, will. Uh, um, will be under more restrict, un, face, will face more restrictions, will face more res, restrictions. Um, in, in, in the, in the perhaps the long run, I think, I think civil society in Hong Kong may be very different, um, from what we see, uh, before 2019. 
Okay, thank you very much. Um, let me bring in a couple more uh, comments from listeners about uh, Steve Fine's uh, departure. Two comments in a very similar vein, and then we'll go back to uh, Professor John Burns. Uh, Peter says, uh, by making Steve Vines uh, the lead story, praising him as a veteran journalist and claiming he was fleeing white terror, RTHK again leaves its audience with a very narrow, single-minded perspective and completely ignores it was the black-clad fascist protesters who spread white terror and actual real terror through Hong Kong streets. The headline to RTHK News should have read, Good riddance, Steve Vines. Steve Vines, the white privileged anti-China colonial relic who wrote a book titled Hong Kong China's New Colony in 1998, a year after Hong Kong's handover to China, in order to smear Hong Kong's return to the motherland, who never has had a single positive word to say about mainland China, the Communist Party or the Hong Kong SAR government finally called it quits, out of worry that the national security law will stop him from further abusing RTHK, a Hong Kong government-funded public broadcaster, and other local media as a platform for his personal anti-China propaganda and crusade against the Communist Party. Steve Hines is almost certain to join an army of activists, journalists and anti-China organisations in the UK, developing and publishing propaganda that demonises Hong Kong and China overseas because spreading anti-China hate and propaganda uh, play, pays well in the West. Another email uh, from uh, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to edit this email, but not the part uh, referring to uh, Steve Vines. Uh, he says, why are we discussing the departure of Steve Wines, W-H-I-N-E-S? This was his own choice, and clearly no pressure or threats were exerted on him to leave. His open email was full of hyperbole, melodra melodrama, and f fantastical claims. Frankly, good riddance to him. His commentary was always negative, never constructive, full of sarcasm and childish complaints. As a radio host, he was disrespectful and aggressively rude towards any guest or caller who disagreed with his views. The man was full of bias and rarely presented an objective and balanced view on current effects. The sad fact is that back in Britain, Vines will no doubt become a long-range sniper and critic of Hong Kong. Anyone listening to him should take his views with a grain of salt. Thank you very much, uh, Jeremy. Uh, uh, John Burns, we've been talking about other um, possible um, targets for action by the Hong Kong government. The Foreign Correspondents Club has been mentioned, the Hong Kong Journalists Association. Is, is there anyone, anyone else you would add, or any, any other organisations you'd add to the list? I mean, how about the Hong Kong Bar Association, for instance? Well, I, I think we should take the words of Lao Tzu Kai very seriously. I... He's my favorite Beijing whisperer, you know. I mean, so basically, and he said education and the media, these are the things that are in the crosshairs of the Communist Party now. And so I think I think focusing on the media is very important. I don't believe there's a media functional constituency in LegCo, so elections are not there. But, but certainly the media helps to form public opinion, and uh, the authorities would like to um, to guide it, I believe, you know, and the liaison office now has seen this as one of its uh, main uh, targets. But I think the point is about freedom of the press and freedom of expression and all these things is that you have to use it or lose it. So I think we, we are here discussing this topic now, and you are reading out all these various uh, views, and I think this is a good thing. So I, I think, you know, education and the media are the appropriate things to focus on at the moment. 
So, Professor, do you think somewhere like the FCC, which, uh, you know, lives in this sort of um, space where it, where it occupies a free speech? You're a former president of the FCC, aren't you? Uh, I'm a former president of the FCC, yes, that's true. Uh, and it's always been a challenge walking the line uh, in Hong Kong. Um, so where do you see the future of somewhere like the FCC? Do you think it has one? Um, you know, as Chris mentioned, the F the, you know, there is an FCC on the mainland, and I think some kind of FCC has a future here. Um, I, but it, it doesn't FCC have a building, and it doesn't occupy a building that is under a government lease, for example. Oh, yes, 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 of course. So, but remember, before that building, it was in another building. So it, um, you know, it has to be able to pay rent. Um, and there are things that can be done to remove it from the current place where it is. And it is, before that, it was in Wan Chai, I believe, someplace. I visited it there. And no, so, no, no, it was never in Wan Chai. <laughs> I think you're referring to the Hong Kong Press Club. The aren't Press you? Club, which was a slightly uh, different uh, uh, oh, I see. institution. Okay, so but I think the broader point you're making is that it, it is not dependent on one location, right? Uh, it isn't. I mean, I, and so... I can even imagine a virtual FCC, so without uh, uh, brick and mortar. So, um, you know, I, there are things that can be done, but as Chris said, there is uh, FCC on the mainland, and the authorities undoubtedly see some value in this. So this, you know, they're trying to, um, I guess, teach it how to behave differently to a certain extent. Currently, I think the FCC is doing an excellent job at balancing different opinions. So um, uh, I, I wouldn't have focused on that so much. I think the real, the real uh, thing they're worried about is the Chinese language press, which has more impact on the community and on uh, opinion and things like this. I think this is the, so uh, for Chinese language press, I think there is a real danger that um, there could be further cur curbs, you know, business licenses uh, revoked and uh, all kinds of things can be done to, um, you know, seizing property, freezing assets, arresting people and all this kind of thing. It's happened before. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was Professor John Burns, Emeritus and Honorary Professor at the Department of Pub Politics and Public University, Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Also with us since the start of the show, uh, political analyst um, uh, Chris Young, who's the former chair of the Hong Kong Journalist Association. Anna, before we leave this topic, I'm going to turn the ta tables on you as the co-host, uh, as a former president of the FCC. Just, just how damaging would it be for, as we've been talking about the FCC, for the FCC to lose its current premises? Yeah. Uh, it would... Uh, it would really be a major earthquake uh, in that I think we've become very complacent in occupying that lovely building on Icehouse Street and to have to, uh, even though paying uh, almost $700,000 a month in rent is quite an ask, um, finding new premises that occupy such an advantageous location in the middle of town would be a financial challenge because the FCC doesn't have very deep pockets. Journalists have never been well paid and so it would be an enormous challenge to keep it going in a bricks and mortar way unless we were to become a virtual 
organisation, which would be a major departure. Okay, well, I ask because it was, it was raised during the discussion, and um, it, it, might, it must be considered at least one, one poss- possible organisation that uh, could feel action against it. Well, we have the issue of the uh, lease coming up for review in uh, sometime over a year, so uh, uh, we we wait to see what happens. Okay, well, we'll draw close to that subject there for the moment. Uh, moving on, uh, among the announcements uh, from the government in terms of uh, a revamp of uh, travel rules um, in, in terms of COVID restrictions um, announced by uh, Chief Executive Carrie Lam will be a resumption of um, admission of at least some foreign domestic helpers to Hong Kong, although uh, initially the government is only talking about those who have been uh, vaccinated already in, in Hong Kong and initially only recognising uh, vaccinations that have been conducted in Hong Kong and who've returned to the Philippines or Indonesia or so on will, will be allowed back into Hong Kong. Uh, there has been a huge shortage of domestic helpers given the uh, the flight ban for several months now. And joining us to discuss the situation and how much difference the government's announcement will make is Thomas Chan, the chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Uh, good morning, Mr Chan. Welcome to Backchat. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, how serious is the shortage of foreign domestic helpers at the moment? Yeah, the, the, the shortage is very, very, very serious. Uh, I think uh, <coughs> since the the door was closed uh, April uh, this year, uh, there are about we are expecting there are about six thousand workers stranded in the Philippines or in Indonesia, and right now, I think uh, one. For, for one worker, at least there are three to five employers, they are fighting for one worker. Uh, a lot of employers, they, they can't uh, look for the new employer or they are afraid to lose the current one working in the house. That's why the salary was pushed up to 6000 or even 7000 on average. And then the workers' request for working condition also, uh, there are lots of questions, uh, requests. For, for, for better working condition. That's why uh, the, the, the major reason is the imbalance between the demand and supply. But Mr Chan, I have to stop you there. I'm hearing from helpers that when they come to the end of their contract, they're being given a 14-day, the regular 14-day extension, which because of COVID has typically been extended. They've been given extra 14 days to give them a chance to find a new job. But I'm hearing recently that's not happening. Uh, so they're put in this very strange situation of limbo where they can't fly back to uh, Manila because of the flight ban, but they're out of visa. So they're really, a lot of them, in a very uncomfortable position. Uh, for, for this one, it doesn't really uh, affect workers uh, on the side of the workers seriously because most of the workers, uh, before they finish contract, they can very easily get the new employer or even they were terminated within few days they can get the employer already and then uh, of course immigration is a little bit uh, more strict than before in approving the new visa but most of them they still can get a visa so for for this one it's not a serious issue so the you're current, saying that for once it's stacked on the sides of the helpers they can pick and choose the jobs and actually um, yes, the, yes. the supply and demand is in their favor and they can actually get a more realistic wage is that what you're saying Yes, so uh, the, the, the major issue is right now, workers available in the market is much less than employers demanding for the workers. That's why the workers, they still have the right to choose 
the employers. And then uh, we are strongly appealing the government to allow new blood from overseas to fill in in the market and improve the market situation. That's what we are asking. Well, you specifically, you want them to recognise vaccinations conducted overseas, right? Isn't that the, that's the problem, right? The, the government will now recognise that domestic help has been vaccinated in Hong Kong, but that doesn't help bringing in new helpers because they would have been vaccinated in the Philippines or Indonesia. Yeah, uh, from this point, I, I would say uh, the government should change a little bit about the mentality because currently it seems the government is looked down or they are despised the authority of the other government. Suppose Hong Kong and Philippines or Hong Kong and Indonesia, they are cooperative partner in deployment of the workers from that place to Hong Kong. But it seems, uh, especially based on the comments from Lord Qigong, it seems he doesn't believe everything or he doesn't believe the credibility of those governments. For for those uh, certificate issued by those governments, they are still questioning. I, I don't understand what, what's the mentality behind it. It looks like only Hong Kong is trustable and then everywhere in the world not trustable. <laughs> it doesn't work in this way. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Thomas Chan, the uh, chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies, uh, talking about uh, the current shortage of uh, foreign domestic helpers in Hong Kong. Uh, before we go, give the last word, as always, to our listeners. Uh, uh, one more email on Steve, uh, former Backchat co-host Steve Vines, actually in a pretty similar vein to uh, previous emails. Uh, Andrew says, agree with your listeners' negative views on this guy. On one of his last appearances on Backchat, I questioned his credentials on China, given that he had not been there and was therefore just repeating hearsay. He did not take it well and refused to offer evidence of any recent experience in China. Very arrogant. Uh, and uh, finally, on climate change, yet again, I said that we were going to draw a close. This discussion's been running since last week. I said after reading an email out a half an hour ago, we'd draw a close. But uh, uh, perhaps one last email here from uh, Richard II. Said, you said you, you hoped the previous comment about this topic was the last because this is run and run, but you seem to miss the point. There is not going to be an end to this issue of climate change. It's only going to get worse. It's going to run and run, and the failure to recognize this is why we are in the mess we are in. It's not going to go away, whether we like it or not. So we'd better start doing something about it while we can, because we have very little time left to do so. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard. And I'm not suggesting that we call an end to discussion of climate change on Backchat, certainly not just perhaps the uh, long-running discussion about a phone call to Backchat that uh, started from last week. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank Jim you, uh, Jim will be in the seat tomorrow. The weather forecast, uh, sunny intervals and a few showers, more showers and thunderstorms later. Currently 29 degrees, relative humidity 79%. It is natural for babies to be fed when they are hungry, wherever they are. So let's show a welcoming attitude to mothers and their families who wish to breastfeed their children in public by offering families a supportive environment for breastfeeding their children away from home. Public venues will also be providing a quality customer service. Let's give our children the best. Support a breastfeeding-friendly community. For details, please visit www.fhs.gov.hk. The News with Vicky Wong. Macau has launched a mass COVID-19 exercise with the aim of checking everyone in the SAR within three days. Authorities ordered the tests after a family of four were confirmed to have the more infectious Delta variant of the coronavirus. Officials say the risk of an outbreak is extremely high and have ordered a state of immediate prevention under Macau's civil protection law.
A University of Hong Kong epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says that on the current trajectory, the SAR can hopefully reach a 70% vaccination rate in the next few months. After that, it can start looking at a return to normal life, but he also expressed concern over a possible fifth wave. And the British Maritime Intelligence Agency Lloyd's List says an oil tanker has been hijacked in the Gulf of Oman and has been instructed to sail to Iran. It's the second attack on a merchant vessel off the coast of Oman in less than a week. I'll be back with more news in half an hour. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. Where oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for artists and not really for characters. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide for what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Well, we are at the crossroads of the week, aren't we? Welcome to Wednesday on Morning Brew. We're going to start in a few minutes with today's Olympic report from AFP's Danny Hicks, of course, live in Tokyo. We've only got a few more days of the Games, and Hong Kong has really made a mark. Eyes are now on golfer Tiffany Chan, and of course, Danny has more. After 10.30 today, composer and conductor Colin Touchin will be with us for this week's classical music chat when he's going to be talking about pieces that were written especially for big sporting events and festivals. RTL France's Philippe Dovar will be live from Paris at 11.40 and after 12, we'll visit Chris Watts at his Motion Dynamics studio in Central. Join us as always for that one on Facebook Live. (laughs) 